Hello and welcome to The Naked Podcaster. I am Jen Taylor and today I'm here with Angela Henderson. Angela, how are you? Hello, hello, Jen. How are you going today? I am, well, I'm going great. <laughs> so <laughs> we need to preface this. Um, it's only 9 a.m. your time in what Australia, time? but you're from Canada and just briefly talking to you before we started, I can hear Canada pop out. I can hear Australia pop out. Your dad lived pretty much down the street from me. So yes, that's really fun. How are things there in Australia? You're a day ahead. So we're a day ahead and it's also our winter. So we have the opposite seasons to what you guys have. So we're in the middle of winter, but whereabouts I live in uh, Queensland, Australia, our winter days are still like beautiful. So the sun is out. It's typically shining. Uh, like it's chilly for us. So it's probably sitting at about, I don't know, 20 degrees Celsius, which is probably... I don't know, about maybe 70, 72-ish around Fahrenheit, your time, or your uh, temperature, I guess I should say. So yeah, we have beautiful winters here. So uh, yes, it's a beautiful day here in Queensland. I am jealous of those winters for sure. Yes, they're not like Nevada winters, that is for uh, sure. No, I, I'm done with those. Okay, so your website is AngelaHenderson.com.au, and that's because you're in Australia, I'm guessing. That's correct. <laughs> that's right. correct. You look at me just putting everything together. Tell me what you do on An Angela Henderson. And there's, so I've cyberstalked you, so I know you also had another business, and I want you to touch on that one too, but tell me what you're doing. So what am I doing now? So at the moment, I specifically work with women in business, uh, more on that startup kind of first year to three year phase to really develop the foundational strategy and structure they need in order to grow sustainable and profitable businesses. A lot of times I see women that come to me who have, it's kind of like the book, The Three Little Pigs. They have a beautiful business that is made out of hay or a beautiful business that is made out of sticks, but it wouldn't take much for those businesses to collapse or go bankrupt or to shut down because they don't have the fundamental structures and strategies in place so that's kind of where I come in and as a business consultant I either work with women in a one-to-one -one capacity or I also work to women in my group coaching capacity I also run Australia's leading women in business four-day three-night retreat um, and then obviously those are paid avenues but there's a lot of free stuff because I also feel that people have to feel confident to where they're at and are willing to invest you know um, in having that growth and sustainability. So I also have my own podcast, Business and Life Conversations with Angela Henderson. And I also have a very uh, active and free Facebook community called the Australian Business Collaborative. So there's a variety of different ways that people can work with me or consume information depending if they like it through podcast or blogging or groups or face-to-face. -face. Um, I really try to make sure that uh, I can help as many women in business as possible. It's so exciting what you're doing. And I know we'll touch on the other business when we kind of follow through your journey. So now I, you're, you're from all over the place. So take us back to that, where you grew up and kind of how you got to where you are now. So sure. So I grew up in uh, Alberta, Canada for my, up until I was around 14. So I lived on a farm when I was little in a little place called Holden, Alberta, which was a lovely little place. I just remember, you know, the paddock uh, or the fields, you guys would call, we call them paddocks over here, just running with our dog, you know, uh, being with the chickens, the cows, etc. So that was always fun. Again, I remember the winters being very cold as I'm assuming you, you can remember that now also. Um, so yeah, so Canada was great. And I lived there till I was 14 years of age. 
Um, but then my mom was a travel nurse, so she thought it would be fun at the age of 14, prime age of teenage years, to move our entire family down to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And she had promised us that we would only be there for a year. Well, that ended up being all of my high school and all of my undergrad that we stayed in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So obviously I adapted and it was great. But home, you know, even today, it will still always be Canada. From there, when I finished my undergrad in psychology and sociology, I then did my master's over in uh, Brisbane, Australia at the University of Queensland, uh, master's of social work. And then I went back to America to, in North Carolina, where I did my licensed clinical practice to be a licensed social worker. So uh, that's kind of my journey about moving around initially. Then I stayed in North Carolina, uh, worked in the mental health sector, where again, I would work with people to you know, do assessments to diagnose for schizophrenia, depression, bipolar or any of the mental health kind of uh, platforms. And then we moved, I married a Tasmanian. Uh, we got kicked, he got kicked out of the United States. So I was on a green card to be in America. My husband then would, we had to get him in and off the continent every three months, which we were doing. He didn't work, he didn't do any of that. Uh, but the last time he came into the United States, uh, he got detained in Charlotte to, and basically told us that you have intent to stay. And he's like, well, I'm actually, I'm visiting my wife. So yes, as we get through the green card process for myself, my intent eventually is to be here they then kicked him out and said you know we'll let you in on this time but you're no longer allowed back in and we pretty much had to move um, we got an immigration lawyer and they pretty much advised us that because they've got top tier which is rightfully so the citizens of america get their spouses in first the green card holders get their spouses in second um, which makes sense um, however because of the influx of uh i guess so many um, how do you say non-us so residents of the america being there it was going to take seven years for his application to get processed so we're like well you can't be apart from seven years you're not going to have a marriage and then we just sold everything and then moved uh, back to Tasmania, Australia, where his parents lived, and then eventually moved back into Brisbane. So yes. Holy cow. So yeah, it's great that you understand. Well, that's, that is how it should work, but who knew it would be so long. So did you get, did, where did you meet when you were in Australia getting your master's? Yes. Yeah, so, well, no, not really. When I was doing my undergrad in Albuquerque, New Mexico, during our U.S. summers, I would travel to Fiji, Australia, uh, and work for an American-based tour company. And when I was doing that for a few years, that's where I ended up meeting Dale. And then we didn't actually connect until I was back doing my master's degree for a couple of years. And then, yeah, it was just, uh, that was the end of it, really. How fun. What a fun story. And you traveled a lot. Yes, that's correct. And we still travel. We've just come back from Vietnam with uh, my family. Uh, yeah, we travel quite yeah a lot. It's a big part of my why I'm in business. I love that. And you can you can pretty much do business anywhere there's Wi-Fi. Where there's Wi-Fi? Well, for my type of business, yes, wherever there's yes. Wi-Fi. Um, but I also think, again, for any business owner that's out there, it's what you choose to do. So I also had an e-commerce business, which was my first business. Again, if you've got your staff and your crew around you, you can also run an e-commerce business as long as you've got your team and systems in place. So I'm a believer that any business can run remotely as long as you're willing to put in what needs to happen for that to happen. Wow, that's actually really out-of-the-box thinking because – for me, I know you, I, I mean, my whole goal for years has been to be able to work location independent that gives you the ability to go anywhere you want. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, that has to be something that I'm doing online. So that's mm -hmm. really interesting to me. 
You know, so yeah, and I just think that if you've got your team, so again, you hire your packing team, you hire your dispatch team, whatever that looks like, whatever your business structure is, you know, you still have to have weekly check-ins and weekly meetings. I'm not, I don't think that you should be completely hands off your business because I think things would go, you know, pear-shaped at some stage. But if you've got your team, you've got a manager hired and they know how to, you know, print off the invoices, you know, check orders, get the orders to the clients, your customer service and your business can still go. I mean, with Finley and me, we would travel for two and three weeks at a time. And I would have people in here, you know, just dispatching orders, or you can hire a third party logistics team, which costs a little bit more, but then every, whatever comes in goes out. So there's different ways to doing it. It just depends on how determined you are to set that up. And you know what, again, what's your why? I love it. I want to go back a little bit because you're married mm-hmm. and you're in Australia. You mm-hmm. didn't have trouble getting, because you were married, your citizenship was okay going that direction? Right. So going that way was fine. It would have been okay too if I was a citizen of the United States, but because I only held a green card is where the heck, it was where the hiccup really came in. Um, so yeah, so coming to Australia is fine because he is an Australian. Obviously I come in on a permanent uh, spouse visa or a temporary spouse visa. You then are on a spouse visa for a couple of years and then you can apply for citizenship. I do believe that's changed now. I think you have to be on your spouse visa for four years before you can apply for citizenship. But at my stage, it was two years and then citizenship. So I have dual citizenship with Canada and Australia now. And if you had gone back to Canada, it probably would have been different as well, right? Yes. If I went to Canada, again, I would have had, because I've been off the country for so long, it would have taken six months for all of my benefits and all that to get reinstated. But the same process would have gone through. I would have been able to eventually bring Dale over quicker just because of the fact that I'm in my country of origin. How crazy. I mean, I know everything to ask anyone because who are you going to ask this stuff to? I know. So I know and, it, and it is crazy because, you know, it's, it was, and again, I know you talked about, you said, just kind of let the conversation flow. It was one of those things that I worked with a lot of illegal immigrants in my mental health job, right? And it was one of those things where I'm like, we're actually paying $2,000 minimum every three months to get him off the continent, which is a requirement by the United States government. You couldn't go to Mexico. You couldn't go to Canada. You had to be completely off the continent. So for our um, honeymoon, we went over to Belgium. Uh, we would fly that trip that Dale had done. We had flown him down to Costa Rica. Like we actually were doing, he wasn't working we're actually doing the right thing by the laws of the united states and yet he was the one that was detained and i'm kind of like so i have to be honest it was a little bit frustrating you know but i also believe that you have choices when those situations happen you can either keep do you know what i mean you can whine and moan about it or you be proactive and take action so that's when we decided to leave and eventually i had to relinquish my green card so it's better to relinquish your green card and then have it stripped of you because you'll probably, it will look bad type thing. Um, but yeah, there was a little bit of frustration at the beginning. Cause I was like, we're actually doing the right thing here. Um, I actually working with people, you know, rightfully so who are trying to escape from horrific scenarios, you know, like being raped on a regular basis. They're chill- like, so it's not that I, uh, I actually loved helping those individuals because I don't want to ever see anyone in harm's way. It was just slightly frustrating at the beginning. I totally get it. I completely get it. So you're spending- a whole lot of money and he's not working 
No, he's not working. So like I said, we were basically living paycheck to paycheck at that stage. Uh, just, you know, and it, it just was what it was, right? You just, again, that was our choice. That's what we had decided. And yeah, like you still have student loans to be paying for. You still had to, you know, all those things that many of the, your listeners will probably also have to pay for. Uh, then you've got to pay to then speak with the lawyer because you're like, well, hold on a minute. I thought this was okay. And, you know, so yeah, so it is what it is, but choices. So that's why, again, it's like, I, we didn't want to be away for seven years. We then sold everything and then it was kind of, let's rock and roll. You moved back over to Australia and how long did it, first of all, did you have to give up? Did you finish your master's? You finished your master's? I'd already finished my master's and okay. then gone back to America. So that was fine. Okay. Got it. So you had finished that and you were actually working in that. And what about in Australia when you moved back? Could you get the same type of job? No. So that's where, again, then there was a hiccup on the Australian side. So even though Australia, I'd gotten my master's in Australia, the rules in Australia is that you must have an undergrad in social work in order to be a social worker in their country. So even though I had taken a master's of social work degree, it works the opposite of how it does in the American curriculum. So when I applied for the AASW, the Australian Association for Social Work, the head guy of that had looked at my resume and said, you actually have more uh, experience the majority of our social workers because of your master's, but because of the legislation here, you can't be a social worker. So then it was a little bit of a controversy. I then uh, sought legal action because I was questioning why the University of Queensland, uh, which 70% of their overall income comes from international students. So we're paying double to triple the amount of tuition to come over here and do those degrees. Uh, why they wouldn't disclose to international students that the degrees you get in the origin of the country aren't actually going to be useful when you come back to this country. Uh, so there was a lot of debate. The University of Queensland tried to withhold my, it's called freedom of information in Australia. They tried to withhold all my documentations. I then won that. Uh, they then had to open up all of the files to me, to which it was very clear that the, they call it the vice chancellor here in Australia, which is kind of like the dean, I guess, of the school over in America was saying, you know, she goes to media on this. We're going to be in trouble if this happens. It was all in writing. It was very clear. However, the universities sit almost like their own identity. They've got their own postcode, their own zip code. They, they're kind of themselves. And some of the lawyers that I spoke with, I spoke with three and one guy said, listen, you definitely have a case. But at the end of the day, I've got lawyers who are subcontracted to UQ and I can't guarantee that your information is going to be confidential and not get back to the university. Another person said you're paying for like university lawyer, like the university's lawyer. So in the event you did lose, the expense is going to be quite high. Another uh, law firm said they would take me on because they believe we could win. But again, just coming back of being in America with getting my husband off the country, we didn't have a lot of money. So it was like, we need 50 grand up front. So it was one of those things that again, after we exhausted everything, it really came back down. The university said, uh, you can come back and do a couple of classes and we're happy to then at that stage give you kind of like a grandfather into the degree. But at that stage, I was like, I've just done an undergrad in New Mexico. I've just done a master's degree. Like I don't want, I shouldn't have to go back. This isn't on me. Um, and so anyways, I just chose to kind of go, nope, I'm done with that. And so I still worked in mental health over here in Australia, but I just wasn't doing the clinical side of things, uh, which was fine, you know, but uh, yeah, again, a little bit frustrating, but what can you do? You've got choices to, you know, I could have gone back. I chose not to. So, yeah. Well, I love though your attitude that you, you tried to exhaust as much as possible mm -hmm. in options and every, every time something came up and then when you have the options, you're choosing to, 
to go to in do a it. certain direction. Right. Yeah. And I guess the other thing is, is from then the university of Queensland have made significant changes. Do you know what I mean? To their international students processes from that. And that was my main thing was, is if this has happened to me, how many other people has this impacted? And it wasn't so much. I wanted to sue them from like, I want millions of dollars. It was a matter of like, you're doing the wrong thing. Like, we're, we got this degree in your country, have paid your economy, we've done it, but you're saying it's actually not valid here. Like it's, you know, so now they're really like quite strict about the processes. It's very clear, you know, so again, I'm happy that the end result is that, you know, it's, um, it's helped other potential people not to have to fall into what happened to me. Which is awesome. I mean, it sucks, but that's awesome. But holy yeah, yeah, cow, yeah. so your whole career that you had, spend so much time you're not doing anymore in the same capacity you're, is your husband working at this point yeah so Dale again it was very easy for Dale to be able to get work because right. again we're back in the country so that's not a, that wasn't a problem um so yeah but it was just like one of those things so I still was able to do counseling again quote unquote you couldn't call yourself a social worker but you could call yourself a counselor but counselors in Australia aren't looked upon as if I mean, for lack of a better word, it'd be like some people say, oh, you're a counselor. You've taken a six-week course on the back of a cereal box, right? Whereas I'm like, no, actually, I have years of experience. But that was my way of being able to work one-to-one -one with people, um, which was great for a little while. And then I worked in the Hobart Women's Shelter for a little while. I worked with kids who, uh, you know, significant trauma, you know, have been sexually abused at six weeks, seven weeks of age, you know, uh, and then we're now eight, nine, and 10. So I was still able to help people in the capacity from what I've learned. I just wasn't able to call myself a social worker. And then I eventually ended up working for the Queensland state government um, as a person called the service integration coordinator. So it was my responsibilities to work with our highest need individuals uh, between our treating teams, our clinical teams, and our non-clinical teams, our NGOs in the community. Um, and because of my clinical background, it was a great paying job. And I was able to speak the jargon with the treating team because I knew that was what my scope of practice was. But I equally was then able to work with the nonprofits because I had also done that since coming to Australia. So it's kind of a great immersion of the two. No wonder you are so good at thinking outside of the box with people starting their businesses and helping with, I mean, holy cow, because you really had to. So then you guys have kids. That's correct. Okay, so, yeah, so let's jump into that because at some point you stopped working your job and you opened your first business and you had your first child. So let's catch up to speed on that. Yeah, so, yeah, so obviously, you know, leave America, come to Tassie, move to Queensland. Then we started having kids, which was a little bit tricky at the beginning. We weren't falling pregnant, went to an IVF doctor. The guy pretty much said, listen, it's Christmas time. Uh, what I want you to do, let's not start it now, but I want you to go home. And his words, last words were, I want you to go home and fuck like rabbits. And if you're not pregnant by January, come back. And I was just like, Did this, is this the guy's like clinical I mean, recommendation? <laughs> I mean, so, in part, he's my favorite. In I, was part, like, I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, not to mention like when my husband walked in, he was like, I just drop him. And then he's like, you sure I hung my wife would like you. And I'm just like sitting there. I was like, this is like the, one of the top IVF specialists. And I was like, do you like, obviously I've got a good personality, like uh, not personality, but that shit too. But I like a good sense of humor. And I was just like, what has happened in the last hour? You were told to drop him. 
He said his, his wife would like you. We're now being told to fuck like rabbits. So yeah, so that's kind of like, do you know what I mean? The pretense of what, do you know what I mean? The whole experience of trying to get pregnant was like. Oh my God. That was um, not mine at all. That was definitely yeah. not my experience. <laughs> yeah, dude, I was like, oh my goodness. So anyways, we ended up on Christmas morning. I thought we were in Australia. Um, I think it's slightly different back home in Canada. Yes, you've got your family gatherings and you have a couple of drinks, but it's normally like turkey or chicken or just hot meals, right? Regardless of your vegetarian or whatever, it's hot because it's cold. Whereas in Australia, it is so damn hot over here. Uh, people pretty much like eat mangoes, cherries, fish, and you just are drinking all day pretty much because it's so hot. So I was like, oh, before I start drinking, I better just double check in the event I'm pregnant. And we found out on Christmas Day we were pregnant with my oldest, Finley, which was very exciting. Um, so yeah, so yeah, so that was exciting. So we had Finley. And then what I realized was that though I have plastic toys and my children still have plastic toys, is that the batteries were either, do you know what I mean, always running out or they were really, do you know what I mean, like engaging him. It was like they were doing all the thinking. And so I really wanted to look at how could we bring in some toys for Finlay that was going to spark imagination, creativity, fine motor skill development, again, bringing my clinical background. Um, and then I decided just to start open up my own business, which was Finley and me. So um, obviously named it after Finn. And uh, yeah, and we slowly grew it over time to be one of Australia's leading uh, toy stores, uh, which was great fun. Uh, we had 1400 products at one stage. Again, it was very different than say your Walmarts or your Kmarts. They were very niche products. They were a little bit more expensive because they were handmade by moms in America or in Italy or whatever. Like I really tried hard to source product that you couldn't find in those big department stores. Um, and through Finley and me, uh, I also became one of Australia's leading parenting bloggers. I was chosen by Netflix to work with one of their top 30, um, as one of their top 30 bloggers. I worked with different cruise lines and a variety of other international national brands. So that was kind of the beginning of my business journey as I yeah, wanted something more for Finley. And we developed a toy store that focused on creating childhood memories through play, love and travel. So, yeah. But that's holy cow. Let's back up a second there because that's, yeah. that's huge. You were working full time. Yeah, wow. so I worked full time up until two years ago. And that's when I was hit with depression and anxiety. But up until then, it was five days a week. Uh, I would leave the house uh, really early. So obviously, the kids are up at, at whatever hour. Uh, and then we were out the door by 630. I was at my desk job and the government by 730. I worked there till 3.30. I was home by 4.30. And from 4.30 to 7, it was all about Finn or now Chloe also. Um, and then my husband, he he goes to bed like literally 7.38. So it's quick chat. He's in bed. And then I would work on the business from 7.30 to 11, 7.30 to midnight every night just to, you know, bust it out. So I don't necessarily encourage that for other people. But I think sometimes you just, when you want something so bad, you just make it work. I was going to actually ask that. I didn't realize you worked full time for so long because you had a really, you had a business I know in the beginning that has to build, but it really, you were doing a lot with this business. And mm -hmm. I mean, so I know last week I had a week where I was like, I God, I am so tired because I'm up at five and I'm, you know, that I have different clients. And then by the time you do dinner and all of that stuff and and they're long days, but they're not like overwhelmingly awful. And some weeks are just a little more exhausting than others. <laughs> yes. and, and that's how you do it. You know, if you want to exercise, you get up at four. And if you want to do that, you, you have to put the time in little bits all over the place. But your schedule was insane. But your growth was insane, too. 
The growth was insane. But again, you know, a lot of people say, well, how did you have it? And I will always be very thankful to my husband because, you know, at, on the weekends. So it wasn't just Monday through Friday. You then had the weekend markets that you had to do in order to get your exposure out and get your product into many people's hands as possible. So I would do the main expos here in the five main capital cities. Dale would stay at home with the kids on the weekend. I remember like we had our, we didn't know that we would get pregnant with Chloe. Uh, so we had already booked the $30,000 to do these expos for the next financial year. Um, we did then fall pregnant. So I just remember I had to pump enough milk to last her for five days. She was super little because you couldn't take her on site to set up because of it was a hazard in case something fell on her. So then we decided that Dale would just kind of just take her. So my husband did a lot. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's important that, you know, people are like, well, how did you have in some ways though he's my husband and yes it's, it's his children I could have also equally outsourced that to a nanny to help right so to me it's like my husband really stepped up he was almost like you know he too had to work and then he had to double down on the men you know the mama and dad duties at some stages which again some people will say well that's what his role is he's he's a sperm donor and I get that but not all dads or mothers step up do you know what I mean so I will always acknowledge his help for that I think there's also a level of above and beyond or really navigating and altering your whole life to get these things done. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's the normal nine to five, keeping the house clean, putting dinner on and there's the normal stuff, right? But you're talking about above and beyond the normal stuff. So he had to really be supportive for this to even work at all. Right. Like, I mean, he would pack, like, see, he always said when I said that I want to start the business, he's like, you can start the business, but I want to have nothing to do with the business. He's like, so I don't want to learn the back end. I don't want to learn how to do products. He's like, but if you need help packing to go to the market, I will do that. You need me to take the kids. I will do that. You need me to run to the post office. I will do that. But in regards to the day-to-day -day running of it, he goes, I'm not interested. It's not for me. So our boundaries were very clear at the beginning about what he would and wouldn't do. And I think because of that, it worked out quite well. I totally, completely agree. So you get pregnant the second time, you're still working full time, you're still running this business, you know, you have this huge amount that you put on the table for it, you're pumping like crazy. I, I mean, I get all that. As a woman who's had kids, I completely understand. That's a really tough thing. That whole, The whole thing is just a lot of work. It's tough. And then after Chloe was born, you started another business. I did. So I'd have to say, so th it was almost three years ago today. So Chloe would have been about three. Um, and it, that just came up by fluke. It was just one, it was never on the drawing cards. It was, uh, I looked in my diary and I think I had about 14 different coffee dates. I don't even drink coffee, but I realized, well, hold on a minute. If I drive 30 minutes there and 30 minutes back and I'm paying for my own Diet Coke, and that's like about say an hour and a half. And I times it by 14. I was like, well, hold on. If I would have charged those people for my, do you know what I mean, business consulting and coaching that I've just given them, I technically have a secondary business model that could come from this. And so I just started, you know, mean, being very active in Facebook groups. I didn't even have a website at the beginning because it was just in test phase, really. Is this something that's going to be profitable? Is it going to work for my family? What does that mean for the Finley and Me business? And then one client, two clients, three clients, 28 clients. And it was kind of like, okay, this is clearly, you know, a need. So yeah, and then got a website uh, and all that. So yeah, so that's, that's how it came about. It was never on like the five-term plan to be a, a business consultant. It was just aha moment there. So yeah. Still your growth in every direction that you've gone is pretty phenomenal. Let's go back because you have Chloe. She was three when you started Angela Henderson consulting. So you had a couple of years and 
you have issues at work and you just mentioned that you had depression and I know anxiety. So mm -hmm. let's go back to Chloe being born, you working full time and running Finley and me and what happened with Finley and me? Cause I have no idea actually. Yeah. Uh, so Finley and me really up until probably this year is when we officially kind of close, I wouldn't say close it down. The site's still up. It's still there. We're still very active on our Facebook page, but it really wasn't until this year when we, you know, closed down the shop side of things. We hadn't brought in new products for a while. So it was just kind of there. You were still getting sales every day, but it wasn't like we weren't putting ads to it or anything. But Chloe came in the picture. Yes, yeah, still working full time, still doing Angela, or sorry, the Finley and me. Um, and then work probably about... It would be two years now. So Chloe would have been about four, no, four then maybe, or three going on four, somewhere around there. Uh, yeah, my work. So again, you work as a mental health clinician for the state government in their top mental health place. Uh, bullying starts to be happening, you know, because I'm quite... Uh, there is pretty much long in a long story. I won't go into like particulars, but what ended up happening is, is due to my role. I was responsible for monitoring two and a half million dollars of funds that would go to mental health clients who are really, really that top end with severity of mental illness. And it came to my attention that a few companies were pretty much embezzling money is what it came down to. So a client may have been dead and they were still drawing down money. Right. So uh, I brought it to the attention of my management and they chose not to do anything about it. So I chose to get a lawyer because I didn't want my credibility and reputation compromised if it hit media. And as and the, law, the lawyer said, as soon as you send this letter on our legal head, you do realize that you will have an X on your back pretty much from now on. And it was true. It was 100% true. But as I think you're seeing a pattern here is I will always stick up for people, do you know what I mean, when it is necessary. Uh, so that, that will never change. So yeah, so I continue to do what I do. They continue to push back. So outfits that I'd been wearing for the last six years at my work, I was now getting called into the office being told, by the way, those outfits are no longer allowed. You're breaching, do you know what I mean, uh, dress code and you're going to be written up. I'm like, but I've been wearing the same outfit since I started working here my first week. Like, how is it a problem? Yeah, well, we've changed the, we've changed the dress code. So now you need to, do you know what I mean? just to let you know you're going to be written up. So it was those type of things. So obviously from the continuation of that, uh, not that I'm not a strong person, but obviously it wears and tears on you. And at that stage, the depression and the anxiety started to kind of tenfold. Uh, so the Angela Anderson Consulting had only been going in July, since July. So that was kind of just teetering along the back uh, of that. It wasn't anything big, but again, I'd already started that business before I had left. And it was just one of those things I was like, we'll be okay. But the depression and anxiety was really bad for probably about almost, almost, well, it's probably only been the last six months that things have really been kind of really eight months that things have been really rocking and rolling. But up until that, it was, you know, you had to be seen by a psychiatrist. You had to be seen by, you had to see your psychologist. You had to do all this. And then the paperwork kept coming back and they wanted to have full access to my medical records. Well, again, I wasn't born in the dark ages and you work for mental health, you know what I mean? And uh, let's just say breach of confidentiality. So for me, I was like, dude, I'm not giving you my medical records. Like my doctors have told you this is what's going on, but I'm not about to release things. And pretty much because I ref refused to release things, they then, um, they call it's called in Australia, ill retire. They retire you pretty much because 
you know, you're not cooperating is what it comes down to. Um, so yeah, so it's a bit of loss and grief from the fact that again, you put in all this time to helping people with a mental illness. And then when you actually have your own mental illness, the people who are helping others actually just look at you, do mean and do nothing to support you. Now, when I say nothing, obviously my coworkers, yes, but the higher management, do you know what I mean? They don't, they don't want to borrow of it, right? So yeah, so depression and anxiety, I spoke, do you know what I mean, openly about for on Finley and me, and I still talk about it openly over on the Angela Anderson consulting side. Uh, it's a bit of my passion in my why of my business is to be able to get that message out. Uh, eight people in Australia take their lives every single day. It's obviously much higher in the United States. So for me is again, if we can spread the word in that knowledge, uh, even though I'm in remission and have been for about eight months now, uh, it can come back at any time. And I think, you know, it's uh, not something that uh, I've spoken about often enough. Not only were the people in the higher ups not helping, they were uh, the root cause. Well, in my opinion, yes. Do you know what I mean? In my coworkers' opinion, yes. In the lawyers' opinion, yes. Uh, but it's government, you know, they've got a lot more to lose, right? If, you know, uh, word gets out on the street, etc. But for my own well-being, and that's how I kind of live my life is I need to be able to lay my pillow, my head on my pillow every night, knowing that I've truthfully done everything that I can in the most ethical way. Um, yeah, that's just how it is. So they didn't like that I stuck up for a lot of those severe uh, those individuals with really severe mental illness when those agencies were doing the wrong things. Uh, I just, it's kind of more, it's easier if you're just quiet about it, but I won't be quiet when, you know, you're taking hundreds of thousands of dollars away that could be helping others. It doesn't even make sense. Why would you want to protect those agencies who are taking money on law? I, I, that doesn't even make sense. So kudos to you. Tell me more about, I mean, you have two businesses going and you're working, but you, Tell me about the depression and the anxiety. What was, what got you through it? Who got you through it? How did, how did you manage to work through it? I know you said it can come back and you've been good for eight months, but which is amazing. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and how it started and how you recognized it? Listen, again, I, it was just one of those things, your motivation starts to decrease, your relationships, you start to pull back. Well, for me, not, depression is different for every single person. Anxiety is different for every single person. But in my instance, you know, it was like you would try to go to sleep but then you're wide awake and you're wide awake. And then, but then that's a knock on effect to when you wake up in the morning, cause then you're shitty with the kids because you haven't had any sleep, but then you're anxious because you're then now being a bad mom because you know, it's like a knock on effect. And so in order to be diagnosed with anxiety, depression, or any mental illness, it ideally needs to be happening in all three areas of your life. So that's when I really knew it was no longer just being contained at work. It was now impacting my sleep. It was impacting my family. It was impacting my productivity with the businesses. Um, so it was impacting from a community point of view. I wasn't hanging out with my friends as often. So that's when I really was like, okay, this is a much bigger than just like, um, we'll call it an adjustment disorder. You're adjusting to one thing and it goes away, right? Um, this was like, I knew that we were in trouble at that stage. Um, and again, just with being in mental health for a long time, uh, depression and anxiety and drug addiction runs in my family. So I also am mindful of is that when you also have a genetic component of it and an environmental component of it, and then you've got everything else going on, that the reality of it is, is it's probably medication is going to be is going to be needed for not necessarily forever, but at least to get you through it. And that's especially with that sleep side of things is once your sleep starts to get messed up. Um, 
ongoing is it really messes your decision capacity it messes everything else up so that's when i got put on medication at the beginning uh, i guess i should say all through this too is that my grandmother died on christmas two years ago my brother died on mother's day last year and a father type figure died on january 1 this year so you know it's been you've got all these other variables but um with depression and anxiety you could just be working on getting through uh getting through it or getting through the, the work type of shit that was going on and then you had one death so it was like you were you were doing really good you're working with your psychologist and you're like okay great boom and then it was like six months later boom again so it was one of those things that it's like i think if the deaths wouldn't have been um, accompanying everything else. I think I probably would have come out of it a lot quicker, but it's just the way, do you know what I mean? The world works sometimes. So yes. Well, I mean, you act, you had four deaths in the last 16, well, yeah. in the last 16 months, but they were condensed into like a one year period of time, right? Cause you had a, a coworker also. But yeah, a dear business friend of ours passed away in a really freak accident in January this year also. So it was like, boom, 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 you know, like, and, and people who are like, not just like your neighbor who you wave to, you know what I mean? It's like, these are substantial people who have played a significant role in your life. So you're just gonna like, okay. So it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, there were some days you're like, oh man, like Jesus, what else are we gonna get hit with here? But I guess for me, and again, everyone will be different, is the way I've always looked at it is I have choices. So I would still consult with my clients, but then what they didn't realize is that I would then go and sleep for two to three hours because of depression, right? So I still made sure that I had things in my day planned that I made sure I was getting out of bed because if not, then I could have definitely seen that I would have just stayed in bed. I also shared my story, yes, but I only share my story in ways that are potentially going to help others. So it was no point me going and posting, oh my God, I haven't gotten out of bed today. Like that's not helping anyone, right? Um, so when I do talk about my depression and our anxiety when I had it, and even now is I always try and frame it from is this is what it was. This is my choices to try to get me out of it so that there's more a solution focused outcome. I love how you broke down that I know you're in mental health, but for those, uh, the majority of us who are not, to recognize it where it wasn't just in one place. Mm. So that was so awesome that you outlined it like that because what a great way to recognize that it's not a singular issue with just work or just one thing. Um, when you, you notice when it's spilling over into other things, and God, I mean, even with no depression or anxiety, losing four people in like, literally less than 13 months mm -hmm. is massive it's a massive you know what i mean toll and, and on people and I, and I do hear a lot of people going you know what even then like the last two people that have passed away in the last six months are like why haven't why do you think you haven't hit rock bottom again but again you know i think it's it's about choices again like i can be sad and cry all day or like they're not going to come back even with my brother like they're not going to come they're not coming back anytime so um so to me it's like i always am just kind of like i can choose to cry all day which don't get me wrong there are days when it, it hits you grief hits you when you least expect it but I choose to just keep going, you know, so, um, and that might not work for other people, but for me it does. Cause I'm just kind of like, I don't need to see my, my kids don't need to see me sad. My kids don't need to, I can't change it. It's hard for them to understand. So to me is I'm just try to have those moments and embrace those moments when I need to, 
but uh yeah just uh yeah trying to break again also there's a cycle that you have to think about knowing that depression and anxiety genetically runs in my family and then if my kids see it from an environmental is statistically speaking their risks to depression and anxiety you know tenfolds because of that so um, not minimizing or hiding the depression or anxiety, but I just think that some kids kids don't need to see everything that adults experience. I agree. But again, the next thing that I loved in your explanation was that you scheduled things that you knew would get you out. And you loved doing the consulting and meeting with these people. Right. Like it gave me an outlet. It gave me an outlet to not have to sit there and keep going over the depression, the anxiety, the crying, the anxiety, the feeling bad, the guilt for being a bad mom or, you know, like all those things. Like it got me out of that destructive uh, storytelling in my brain. So to know that for two hours or an hour, I needed to focus on someone else and fully tune in and be aware. It allowed me to, again, break that cycle of negativity that was spiraling because of the anxiety and depression. And, you know, like most of my clients, they would, none of them knew what was going on because they didn't need to know because it wasn't impacting, you know, on, on my role as their business coach. Um, but again, I'm very open. A lot of people will sign with me specifically as their coach because they know I have an understanding both clinic, even though I'm never, I never act as their therapist, it's very clear, but they know that I have an understanding and, and a willingness to know when to push them almost when the depression and anxiety is still there and know when to take off the pedal um, because I've lived it myself, but I also understand it from a clinical point of view. And how fantastic though, you got yourself. So I love the tips and tricks and the things that got you out of it. And you, you gave yourself things to do that made you happy. You never threw the pity party, but you were honest and mm -hmm. you got the help you needed through the therapy and medication. And there's nothing wrong with that yep. because you did what needed to be done. And I love, I love when you just said, I didn't hide it, but you also aren't like verbally vomiting it everywhere either. Right. Like I do believe there's sometimes on social media that people are looking for attention. It's attention seeking tactics in my opinion. And so for me, I was like, this isn't, that's not in my personality to do things like that. So I said, well, why would I start doing that now? You know, so people would check in. I would write articles around just because I'm depressed doesn't mean I, just because I smile doesn't mean I'm not depressed, you know, because I think people would think, oh, well, you went to the birthday party this week. Oh, you posted on social media and you were, you know, you, you seemed happy. But I'm like, just because I was smiling doesn't mean that you don't realize that it took me two hours to shower to convince myself to get out of bed, to put the clothes on, to wrap the birthday present, to get in the car, to go deal, you know, like people don't, all they see is the smile and the happiness. They don't actually see what was behind that. So it was really important that I shared that part of it because uh, yeah, it's not necessarily something that we all speak about. We don't speak about a lot of things and I think that's a detriment. I was trained for suicide awareness and I used to train mm -hmm. foster parents to work with kids and a huge part of it was a suicide awareness. And I've had three kids that have had suicide attempts. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean, I mean, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen to you or it doesn't fall. And I, I think the biggest thing is people don't say anything. And, you know, with a lot of issues and suicide being one of them, the best thing you can do is ask the direct question or have the direct conversation. It doesn't mean wallowing in it. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. exposing it, but there's a lot going on under the surface. It's that iceberg theory. You know, we only see this part. The top, yeah. And so I completely understand. It's hard to be honest and straightforward, or I can see how that would be a challenge without ever drawing attention to you in a way that shows pity. So I absolutely applaud 
how you are approaching this. But you've approached everything with this. This is a huge part of who you are, which makes me totally adore you. So it's a lot about choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I I talk about... um, you know, really, people have to take 100% responsibility for their life, their failure, success in business. So even as a business coach, people will come to me and they'll say, well, what's the ROI on you? And I said, well, how much work are you going to do? What actions are you going to take? How much money? You, like, your, your success is not determined by me as your business coach. It actually still comes down to the responsibilities and actions you choose to take or not to take. Um, so, and it's just the way I look at life too, is again, you've got choices. Yes, you can stay in bed all day, but what are the consequences if you choose that? You know, um, and maybe like, again, I too, some days have to stay in bed. That's okay. When I had the depression and anxiety, that was my choice. I know that's what I needed. Um, but again, it was my, I made that decision. I made an active choice. And I think people are forgetting to take act, make active decisions and be accountable for those decisions and choices that they make. It's a big difference. Um, and it's something that I don't hide anymore. I'm very clear in my discovery calls. I'm very clear on my podcast about it. I'm very clear that, you know, if someone will whine to me, even my son, like he woke up, Oh, I'm tired today. Okay. Well, what are you going to do about it? Right? Like I, I woke up tired today too. And I could sit here and moan all day. Or I just go, you know what? I'm a little bit tired acknowledge that you're tired, have a stretch, go for a walk. Do you know what I mean? And go, I'm just going to go to bed earlier tonight, but there's no point just being like Debbie Downer all day. Like, Oh, I'm tired. And then it impacts everyone else. So to me, life is about choices and personal responsibility and something I see very, very few people do actually. I totally agree with that completely. I, we're definitely on the same page. Yeah. And you do have, you absolutely have a choice. I, and I've talked about that a lot. When someone cuts you off on the highway, you have no control over that person cutting you off, but you do have control of whether or not you relinquish your entire day and your attitude because of someone you don't know and will probably never see again. That's mm-hmm. all on you. 150% of that is all your decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are things that suck and you, you know, move on, get over it and don't allow it. Don't allow it to affect your whole day or blame it. Or, you know, you're just relinquishing all of that control of your behavior and your attitude for the whole day. So I love this. This is fantastic. And like I said, it's not like I was always like this. I think it's important that I think when you're young and a bit naive about things, you just kind of, you do do blame. Do you know what I mean? Especially in those teenage years, I think. But as I've gotten older and the more I look at mindset and the power of your mind, really, I think success in business and success in life really comes down to, you know, 80% yeah, um, is mindset. 20% is really strategy in the day-to-day stuff. It's like you wake up with a shitty mind, your day's probably going to be shitty. You like, I just think that again, mindset is where it's at. And it's like, you can understand why Olympic athletes not only have their athletic coach on their team, they've got their mindset coach on their team, because again, it's that a determination and perseverance that's going to get them through. And I can see it. I can see in the clients that I've worked with, those ones that are making up excuses for this, that, and the other. Versus those going, actually, I haven't done this. This is why, but I'll make a choice to do it. There's ones, it's very clear to see those ones that will succeed and those ones that will, they may succeed, but it's going to take them a lot longer because they're too, there's too many excuses. They're not taking responsibility. Exactly. So you went to the attorneys, you decided that the job ended. Were you, you were that incident is what really launched you because i was thinking we were going to have like a a conversation about postpartum depression but that's Mm -hmm. not what this was at all Mm -mm. no Mm -mm. not no postpartum depression 
That's amazing. I mean, that's fantastic. I, I made an assumption when I read your information that that's what it was. So this is, it's, it's great. You got through all of that. And then it was just the work because it can come from anywhere at any time, like you said. And so it's exceptional that you got, you got through working full-time for years and running this business and having kids and thank God you guys could just fuck like rabbits and have your baby. <laughs> well, I mean, Chloe, what we didn't talk about, Chloe was IVF. And so we had 13, uh, 13 eggs at time of, uh, I guess, pickup. By the time she got to the scientist, we were down to 11, which is only one floor up. And on the day of transfer, we only had Chloe's embryo. That was it. Holy so, cow. So yeah, so as the, yeah, so I didn't really talk about how Chloe came, but yeah, Chloe was an IVF baby. Um, and there's a test here in Australia that they didn't have when we were going through all that stuff with Finley called an IMH test, where they test your egg quality. And what they found is, is even though I release an egg every month, the egg is actually a dead egg. And so if you've got 12 eggs, one every month that's released, I may only have two good eggs. So I may have just had a really good egg that released with Finley, but uh, because everything else was normal, normal cycle, normal progesterone, normal everything else, as they decided to run this test as a cautionary, I got called back into the office and they pretty much said the likelihood of you falling pregnant now that you're even a few years older is very minimal because you're, of your egg quality and your egg reserve. So yeah, so we only had one embryo and uh, we had Chloe and then uh, I think week six, we had significant bleeding to where then I was put on bed rest and given Xanax for three weeks because uh, to release the body's tension. Uh, and luckily enough, you know, we got, we were successful with having her, but yeah, so that was also doing you know, quite of a stressful time. Uh, yeah. To, to keep her. Wow. Holy cow. I, I don't know. We all have the same hours in the day and I think I'm pretty great at utilizing my hours well, but you completely blow me out of the water <laughs> in what you're able to do. I'm glad that you did say early on in this conversation that you wouldn't necessarily recommend that for everyone. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I think again, you have to, you have to know your boundaries. And I guess because my personality is, is again, I could have chosen to sit on my couch and binge watch Netflix every night. I could have, that would have been my choice. But because I love what I do in both businesses, I choose to do, I mean, plot along by writing a blog article or working on my next launch or whatever. Like I'm always trying to look at how can I do, you know, how can I keep doing what I love without it being a detriment to my family? So, you know, this past weekend, we've just been in Vietnam. We've just come back. We had one more week of school holidays and I really needed Friday to work. But the reality of it is, is Finley had four games of basketball. Dale works in a regular nine to five job, couldn't take it off. So they're looking at me to take that day off. And, you know, uh, I was a little bit annoyed at the beginning, but then I was like, well, hold on a minute. I actually years ago wished to be in this position, right? To be able to just take it off and it doesn't impact our income. It doesn't just because I want to be in the office to work on other things. And that's why I choose to do things at night is that, I can go be go to their school plays. I can go volunteer in their classrooms. Uh, but then I choose at night not to watch Netflix. Again, it's totally okay to watch Netflix. I do too. But again, there's those are the choices. And there are. We all have the same amount of hours in the day, yes. But I would say since working with different businesses, predominantly those who are mothers, being a business owner with no husband, no partner, and just yourself is very different to being in business with a partner and then add kids on top. So our 24 hours, yes, we have the same, but I think our 24 hours are very different. So for a mom, um, some clients of mine, they can just wake up, they can go to Pilates, they can get green smoothies, they can go do whatever they want, and they're sitting at their desk by eight o'clock. 
most mums are still making school lunches, doing pick up and drop off, um, haven't showered their hair. Like, again, this is a generalization. Not all mums are like this, but, you know, they're still doing that mom duty by 8.30 and 9. So then they come home, and again, that's their choice. But by the time they get home, they're walking in the door and it's 10 a.m., right? So I do think that, yes, we have the same physical time, but again, how our brain and what's working in our brain and other people's responsibilities and what is on our shoulders, again, by our choice for being a parent, yes, but it's, it's, it's much harder, do you know what I mean, uh, by trying to do the juggle of chauffeur, cook, cleaner, you know, and you would oh, know. I know. Well. Yeah, 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 I completely, I, you know, I look at the hours in my day, I schedule, if I'm exercising, I schedule everything, everything yep. is scheduled. Because it has um, to make, you have got to make it that priority, right? Right. And okay, this is the time that I can carve out these things. And this is the time I can carve out these things. And no, the dog's not going to get walked every single day, but I'm going to try, you know? So yeah. yeah, I think also you get better. I know some people are much more artistic than I am. I'm more structured and it's something that I'm very thankful for because you do kind of, it's very important to get more done to be able to structure your time really well. I know if you're a night person or a morning person or, I mean, my youngest knows in the morning, no matter what time she wakes up, she can wake up at six. I am working till seven 30 and mm -hmm. from seven 30 to nine is for her. Mm -hmm. Yep. You can wake up early. You can get yourself breakfast. You, you can do whatever you want in the morning. Until yep. 7.30. I am off the clock until then. Yep. And you, you do have to set it up very, very specifically. But I mean, like you said, regardless, there are excuses and there are choices. And we all do have the same time, but we definitely have to figure out how to work that. You manage it. You're phenomenal at it. So you, when you, you lost, you left, walked away from the job. Well, it was mutual. I mean, I understand they retired. Yeah, ill retired. Yes. Ill yes. Retired. I, I couldn't quite remember. Yeah, ill so retired. Ill retired. The business has already started. When did you decide to relax on Finley and me and really go more into that? And was there a lot of stress with that or was that partially a relief? Listen, the, the relief was that, yes, I no longer had the Queensland health, but the anxiety and depression was still so dominant in my life, right? So it was like I had one thing off. But then um, in Australia, how do I explain it? I wasn't drawing down a wage on Angela Henderson or Finley and me. It was going to my VAs or whatever. So, and that's how it was. And, or like the travel to conferences, whatever. And so I was on a thing called, like, what would you, like, we have income protection. So I was still getting my income protection from my primary job, do you know what I mean? Because of my depression and anxiety. So, you know, rightfully so, I still needed to see psychologists post being ill-retired. I still needed to see the psychiatrist. I still needed to do the medication run. Like, there was still, my calendar was still full of everything else that was just medical-related. That, that's why I outsourced an enormous amount, you know, so my Facebook posts were getting scheduled. Whatever, I still would go in and do a live because for me, with my minimal brain capacity, I guess at that stage, it was easier for me just to go in and there and do a live than to try to write the words on paper, et cetera. Um, I still knew that, again, I would keep the podcast going, but that was, again, to keep me motivated and to keep me out of that lull of the depression. So that still went on, like I said, for the last up until eight months ago, really. Um, and then I kind of like doubled down. So though I still took clients on board, yes, and I still have the podcast in the background, we were definitely already starting to pull back on Finley and me because 
Finley and Me served its purpose when my kids were younger about creating those childhood memories to play, love, and travel. But obviously, as they got older, the different toys they played with, you know, et cetera, change. And, you know, e-commerce is a, is a very difficult market, too. Your overheads are a lot more than a service-based business. You know, you've got to take off pretty much 50% of a sale right from the beginning just to pay for the cost of your products, unless they're your own products that you've made. Um, you then have to do SEO for each of your products, theoretically, if you're doing it well. So then you've got to pay someone to do that. You've got to pay for it. Like, there's an enormous amount of cost. Whereas with a service-based business, I mean, like you said, you technically could have your computer, check, uh, some electricity, check. You know, those type of things are quite simple, and you can run that from anywhere without even doing Facebook ads or anything. So um, for me, it was just really assessing about how much time did I want to put back into Finley and me? Um, was, was I in love and was I passionate about it like I was when I first started it? Um, no. And so, and again, my business consulting stuff was a lot more lucrative with a lot less work that like that had to go. I didn't have to go to trade fairs. I didn't have to pay for this side and the other. So uh, for me, the decision was let's kind of sell it the rest of the products. We gave a lot of our products away to charity at Christmas last year, uh, but let's keep the site up and let's keep our socials going because we've got a very active community about 70,000 over there. Um, it's also good for any of my clients who are kid related businesses. I let them do free promo over on the page and things like that. So we do keep that going. Uh, also it adds credibility and authority to me as a coach to say that I had a business for nine years in e-commerce. Um, so, yeah, so yeah, so that's Finley and me. We started to pull back on that. I love it though. I love how you worked it out in your mind. And I, one of the first things you asked was, were you still in love and passionate about it? Like you were in the beginning, because that's really important. It could have been more lucrative. It could have been bringing in more money even, mm -hmm. or been the one that was less work. But if you hadn't been passionate about it, that would have been a really big deciding factor. Mm -hmm. So with consulting, tell me what you would um, discuss with business owners, like give me some tips and trips, tricks for these moms who are either wanting to or starting in there that they're in that one to three years and they're really struggling other than the tip you already got, which is huge, which is choices and excuses. Yep. Choice and accountability. I and think is who, important. Who's your mom? Who are your yep. people? Who are my people? My people, again, uh, ideally my ideal client is a mom, probably, uh, again, early 40s, 41, couple of kids who haven't quite hit teenage year yet. Um, also really has either left, so there's kind of my top tier lady already has her own business, so my ideal client, so she's already got her side hustle going. Uh, she knows she needs to step it up in order to make it lucrative because she, her partner's kind of going like, hey, you gotta really make this start to work or else you gotta go back to the nine to five. Um, and then my secondary kind of client is the one that's sitting there like in corporate banging her head against the wall going, oh my gosh, there's gotta be something better out there in life than coming in here. Almost like, I now look at my government job as a mini cult. They tell you when to eat lunch, they tell you when to check in, they tell you when to leave, they tell you how to think, they tell you to do all that. And so now that I've been out of that, I'm like, oh my goodness, how did I allow, like, and that's probably why, again, I was quite vocal, which means I got myself into trouble at times, you know, like sticking up for people, but most people just kind of are yes people at work, right? Where I'm kind of like, no man, there's, there's other things. So to me, it's like, that's the second mom, you know what I mean? So she's probably got a couple of younger kids who are more probably like, three and five, six and four type thing. Uh, but she's going, no, I need out. I've got, there's got to be another outlet and is wanting to start either like, I hate using the word hustle, but a side gig. All right. Um, 
So yeah, but again, moms that I like to work with specifically around my ideal client is that they're motivated, they understand choice, they understand responsibility, they're willing to invest in themselves, uh, and that they understand the importance of surrounding themselves with like-minded people, connected people, because you can't do this alone in business. So uh, that's kind of who I look to for when I'm working either in my one-to-one -one capacity or in my coaching program, Profit Pillars. So yeah. Can people get onto your Facebook group without, is it a membership only, or do they have to Oh, no, no, no. So my, our free Facebook group, which is Australian Business Collaborative, and we have people all around the world join. Um, anyone can join. That's a free group. It's my paid group that once you pay to be either one-to-one -one coaching or in the uh, group coaching program, then I've got a separate group just for paid members also. But the free Australian Business Collaborative group, anyone can join. And again, I do you know lives in there all the time. Like we just talked about defamation and some of the changes here in Australia is there's a big landmark case that's just come up with people who run a business page and or a business group um, is that you're responsible for any defamation that happens on your page. So a person like it could be my page on Australian Business Collaborative, someone could have been talking about a business, they screenshot it and that case is just one of big case here in New South Wales, the state of New South Wales. So again, I went, went in there reminding business owners about you know defamation and about responsibility for your pages. Um, we talk about like a variety of things. There's about 5,500 members in there and we just are asking questions. It's not just about business though. It's just about life. So we talk about depression. We talk about anxiety. We talk about the loneliness of being in business. Um, I try to keep it again, as cliche as, as it is a bit real because other business owners are just about promoting themselves. It's a very spam free. You can promote one day a week. Even I don't promote that often because to me, community is primary. If you don't have community, Something like network equals your net worth. If you don't have a network, your your business will ultimately, do you know what I mean, be very slow at uh, gaining momentum. I love everything that you've shared and how honest you are and just your personality. I, I want as many people to look into your information as possible. It has been fantastic. Angela, I really appreciate you. Thank you for being on. You know, thank you so much for having me, Jen. Have an awesome day.